0: As we continued last Sunday on our journey through Mark's Gospel, or maybe I should say through our year long journey through the first chapter of Mark's Gospel, uh, we read in verse 29 to 34 about Jesus healing the disciple Peter's mother in law, and then about Jesus healing all of the many, many people who came to the door of Jesus, of Peter's mother in law's house, or probably Peter's house. And how Jesus healed the many and they were people possessed by demons and people who had all sorts of illnesses. Just as Jesus had in the previous section when he was still in the synagogue, a synagogue in Capernaum, had healed Uh, a man who had been possessed by a demon or demons. And you remember that Jesus gives a command to that demon or demons saying to that person not to speak or to that demon not to speak about what had happened to him, not to speak about what had gone on in that space, to keep a lid on uh, what Jesus was doing. And we You remember last week we talked about how Jesus eventually will say this over and over and over in Mark's gospel. Don't talk about it. Don't share. Don't tell. Keep a lid on it. Last Sunday morning we focused on verses 32, 33, and 34. This passage and specifically verse 34 that reads like this. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. And if you were with us last Sunday morning, you remember that we talked about the mystery of Jesus' secrecy, about Jesus' continually curious command to demons and to those who had been possessed by demons and to people Jesus had healed not to tell other people, not to tell others what had gone on. And we acknowledge that Jesus' penchant for secrecy about himself and about casting out demons and healing people was and remains to many still a mystery. It's been a mystery for readers. It's been a mystery for scholars. It's been a mystery for theologians. It's been a mystery for pastors. And all of the mysteries since ancient times that we talked about last week reminded me of a few mysteries in our world today. For example, why glue doesn't stick to the inside of a bottle why think about this there isn't a mouse flavored cat food isn't that interesting and why goofy is always standing up but pluto is always on all fours has anyone ever noticed that isn't that strange they're both dogs and then even weirder is this like isn't that weird what's going on in the world of disney and then differently if a cow was to laugh would milk come out of its nose Again, all right, so moving on from these inconsequential mysteries and the presumably really important mystery of Jesus' secrecy, though we're actually moving backward this morning a couple of verses to take a closer look at verses 29, 30, and 31, which we kind of skipped over last week of chapter one of Mark's gospel, but first let's pray together. Help us, God, to be sincerely attentive to your word to your word, to your will, to your way, to your truth, to your reality in the heavens and here on earth, despite the one who speaks, speak to us through your words, uh, open our eyes, shape our hearts, transform our minds, alter our lives for the sake of the kingdom. Give us ears to hear and hearts that are good and fertile soil. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart if my words stray or deviate or or are inconsistent with your word, may they be passed over, forgotten. Amen. And now reading uh, through the Gospel of Mark, starting in chapter one, verse twenty-nine. Listen closely. This is God's word. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon. In other words, Peter and Andrew. Simon's, or Peter's, mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So Jesus went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. So I really enjoy eating. I don't know about the rest of you. I really enjoy eating. And I give at least partial credit for that love or that enjoyment to my mother, who when I was growing up was a fantastic cook, an amazing preparer of food, except for the occasional soup pot night, which I'll tell you about some other time, or when lima beans or collard greens were on the menu. Uh, I loved what my mom cooked. I loved what my mom prepared, what she baked, what she cooked, what she fried, her whole preparation of meals. And she instilled in me a love for eating. And the biggest important and most important meal of our week growing up was the Sunday afternoon supper. So Sundays always went like this church in the morning, big, sort of formal family supper in the early afternoon, and then football games with my dad, who fell asleep on the couch during those games. That was our routine. And it was much the same way in Jewish culture in the first century, except for the football game part. On Saturday mornings, people would go to the synagogue, celebrate the Sabbath. On Saturday afternoons, they'd return to their homes for a big meal together, which was followed by a time of relaxing and rest and enjoying one another's company and not doing a whole lot of anything. And that's where, that's what's happening in this scene in chapter 1. Mark tells us that Jesus and four of his disciples head home to the home of Simon and his brother Andrew for their big Sabbath meal. And there were probably others with him, and this was likely Jesus' home away from home, as far as we know. Peter may have had a very large house, archaeologists tell us. He may have been well off. He may have had a large extended family for whatever reason. It does seem like his mother-in-law, so his wife's mother lives with him. We don't know that for sure. Maybe she was just visiting or in town that day, but likely lived with them. And she was sick. Now there's no indication in Mark's gospel or in Matthew's or Luke's parallel passage that the fishermen, disciples, or Jesus even knew that Peter's mother-in-law was sick when they headed to that house after synagogue. That wasn't in their minds. But upon arrival at the house, they tell Jesus immediately, Peter's mother-in-law is sick. And it was more than a common cold. They told Jesus about her, which was an indirect way of asking. They more than dropped a hint, and they seemed to hope that Jesus might, could, would do something about that. That he might, could, would do something for her. But they don't ask directly. Because maybe they're reluctant to ask directly, because they probably don't know yet. If this is something that Jesus can do or will do. Up until this point in Mark's gospel, Jesus hasn't healed anyone. And so they're not quite there yet to a point of faith, belief, even hope. A little bit uncertain as they're getting to know Jesus. And fevers were a big deal back then. A fever could mean a lot of things. Sometimes a fever would lead to death. There wasn't ibuprofen. They didn't have Tylenol. There wasn't an ER. There wasn't a doctor on call. So a fever was something that could instill fear in people. But they'd seen Jesus cast out an unclean spirit. Did Jesus also have the power and the authority over human beings' physical bodies as he did over demons, evil spirits? Did he have that same authority and power over fever, sickness, illness, the human body? Or maybe they didn't know if Jesus would want to heal Peter's mother-in-law, even if he could. He just ordered a demon out in no uncertain terms uh, to not identify himself, to not identify Jesus. Jesus seemed to want to keep a low profile, even very early on in the synagogue in Capernaum. His first sort of miraculous thing, and he wants to keep a low profile on it. Now, on top of that, it's Sabbath. And on top of Sabbath, it's Saturday afternoon. They've gone home for a rest. They're out of the public eye. They're wanting to kick back. He's putting his feet up. He needs a rest like everyone else. Let Jesus be. And so they just tell Jesus about Peter's mother-in-law. It's just an FYI, Jesus. That's why she's not here, out here with the rest of us. She's in the back lying down because she cannot get up. Just FYI, Jesus. And Jesus came and took her by the hand and he lifted her up. Then the fever left her and she began to wait on them. And there are, for me at least, a handful of takeaways from just these three verses. Most of which are themes throughout the Gospel of Mark. Most of the time when we're going through Mark, we're kind of going to go pick out one big theme out of a passage. Or one or two primary points in a passage as we go through Mark's gospel here just in three verses there are all these themes some of which we've already seen in Mark some of which we will see as we go along and so I'm going to highlight just a few of these themes in Mark's gospel that Mark wants us to pick up on through reiteration and are worth noting first Jesus has the authority and Jesus has the power to heal He had the right to heal, the power to heal. We talked about this two weeks ago as son of God, as one who was in a unique relationship with the Father, as one in whom the fullness of of God dwelt. Jesus had and Jesus has the unique authority and power in the world and in our lives, including the authority and the power to heal, to cure, to make well, to make whole, to restore, to save from destruction, to save. From a variety of things to keep safe and sound, to rescue from danger, to rescue from destruction. All of these are valid translations of the two Greek words that Mark uses in his gospel and that are used in the rest of the New Testament and that are often translated heal, but sometimes are translated in other ways. Jesus had and Jesus has the authority and the power to heal, save, made whole, make whole, restore. But today, we sometimes we don't know what to do with that. Around the subject of healing in the Christian community, there's sometimes confusion, sometimes uncertainty, sometimes disagreement. Some claim miracles on a regular basis, on a weekly basis. Miraculous healing. Some say that no one has the gift of healing today, that followers of Jesus no longer have that ability or that gift or that power or authority, even from Jesus himself. Others point to a headache or the flu or a sore sore shoulder or a stomachache from which they were healed after they prayed or someone prayed for them. But Jesus, notice, doesn't heal people here or ever in the Gospel of Mark or in the Gospels. Jesus doesn't heal people with sore backs or with tendinitis or tennis elbow or nausea. Rather, Jesus healed people with serious tangible conditions and ailments, blindness and paralysis and years of hemorrhaging. And here a fever, which the gospel gospel writer Luke, who was a physician, who was a medical doctor, described as a great fever, we would call it today a high fever, and which for those in Peter's time and in Peter's household was a really serious condition and could have been really scary. Jesus has the authority and the power to heal, and not merely over the course of time, but instantly. Have you ever heard someone say, I was healed of this or that, and over the last few days and weeks, I keep getting better. I'm getting better and better. Well, were they really healed, or are they just sort of slowly getting better? Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law's fever, and she's up. Many of us, when we've had a fever or our child has had a fever, sort of come out of that really slowly over hours. Bam. She's up. Jesus had and he has authority and power to heal. And yet there's more to these three verses than just that, which is why I titled this message in my notes, in an odd to the 80s rock band Boston. Anyone remember Boston? Anyone? A few of you? Okay. In an odd to uh, the band Boston titled this uh, message, More Than a Healing. Are you with me? Anyone remember that song? More than a feeling. All right. Great song. And so second, Jesus heals a woman. In the previous passage, Jesus healed or saved a man from a demon. Now he heals a woman. Jesus was an equal opportunity healer or miracle worker. He healed both men and women. And Jesus' healing of this woman, Peter's mother-in-law, the first woman mentioned in the Gospel of Mark, communicates to the reader early on that Jesus' ministry is going to extend to and before also... Women, just as it would be for men. And given the place of women in the time that this was written, in the first century, that was a pretty big deal. And Mark may have been saying more as this woman is the first woman in a series of women in Mark's gospel who respond appropriately to Jesus, who are lifted up as model examples of discipleship, who, to put it plainly, get it. They got it. A poor widow in chapter 12, a woman with uh, ointment in chapter 14, the woman at the cross in chapter 15, the woman at the tomb in chapter 16, and all of this is in contrast to Jesus' male disciples who often and increasingly don't seem to get it, and who seem to be oblivious over and over. Mark may be signaling something for us here. Third, Jesus' healing was not based on merit. Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law based on no merit of her own other than she was related to Peter, which may, may have actually mattered. Twenty-something years ago, uh, when Karen and I got engaged, I was visiting shortly after that my Greek grandmother, Yaya, and I told her uh, a little about Karen, and we were engaged She said, I love Karen. I love Karen. And I said, what do you mean? How do you love? You've never met Karen. I love Karen. And she loved Karen only because Karen was related to me or would be related to me because of our relationship. Similarly, Jesus had called Peter to himself, had drawn Peter into himself and loved Peter. And so at a minimum that love and that particular care and concern must have extended to others in Peter's household. Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law apart from any merit of her own, apart from anything she did because she'd done absolutely nothing other than spike of fever. Mark doesn't mention faith. Did you notice that? They told Jesus she was sick. She Jesus went to her, grabbed her hand, lifted her up. Period. She does nothing. Supposed healers today say that you've got to have faith, that faith opens the door to healing. And while there may be some element of truth in that, and while Jesus at times calls for faith and at other times affirms faith and clearly wants to see faith, the Jesus of Mark's gospel also heals people indiscriminately because he's good. And wherever he goes, good follows. Because he's good, and wherever he goes, good follows. And four, Jesus heals with no strings attached. There were no conditions required in order to be healed, and Jesus made no demands of this woman after she had been healed. There was no quid pro quo with Jesus, just as there's no quid pro pro with grace. There was no you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. This wasn't a transactional relationship. There were no transactional relationships with Jesus, only freedom. Jesus didn't heal people in order to get things from people. I don't know about you, but sometimes overtly or covertly, consciously or unconsciously, we do things, good things, nice things, loving things to people, for people, with the hope or the expectation that that will come back to us in some way. Has anyone ever done that? Anyone ever do that besides me, in addition to me? Just two people, yeah. But with Jesus, it wasn't that way. Rather, Jesus healed people because he loved people. Jesus healed people because he loved people. And Jesus healed people in order that God might be glorified. Jesus healed people in order that God the Father might be glorified. And we saw and said last week, Jesus was not looking for a lot of, int- of attention for himself, that much is clear. But he was glad for his Father to be glorified through his life, through his ministry, through his love, through his works, through his power. Jesus could have had a massive, massive healing ministry. And when we stand back and look at the Gospels and read the Gospels, it's possible That there simply was massive healing going on in Galilee and Judah and all of Israel during Jesus' day. We don't have records of that. But sort of all all disease might have sort of dissipated during the three or so years of Jesus' ministry. We don't know, but it could have been. Because he's healing just countless people. And yet he doesn't go looking for this massive healing-based ministry. Which he could have had. He didn't come after any of that. He came for another purpose, which we'll talk about next week. And now finally, there's this. Jesus took Peter's mother-in-law Jesus took Peter's mother by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. And yes, uh, that, waiting on them, was what p- women typically did in a household at that time. Yes, that was a normal role and responsibility for a woman and an older woman or a mother in a household. But Mark's point is literally particular. She doesn't, doesn't just return to life as normal. But specifically, she serves. Some English versions say that she waited on them like the New International Version that we read. That she waited on them as a waiter waits tables. But other English translations appropriately say here serve. The Greek word, the verb in Greek is diaconeo, from which we get the word "deacon, and which means "to serve, or as a noun, one who serves by identity." And Mark is saying, "This woman healed by Jesus, gets it and immediately serves. She knew that she'd been in this bad place. Nobody wants a high fever. She knew that on her own she was in a bad place and needed outside help. And by the grace of God, she got it. She was grateful. She understood that her life then, her healed life, had a purpose. And that purpose wasn't just herself. She was healed or saved by grace. And she was also healed or saved. Again, interchangeable word. Interchangeable translations. With a purpose. Theologians talk about being saved to serve, and while that can sound awfully utilitarian to us in one sense, the real point is that we are not saved by Jesus so that we can sit on our own little thrones, or to throw ourselves a party, or to live extravagantly, or to live carelessly, or certainly not to live selfishly, or to put life in neutral until we get to the pearly gates. We are not saved for nothing. We are not healed for nothing. We are not even saved or healed for ourselves. But we are saved for God's pleasure. And we are saved that we might then serve, bless others. As Mark is already hinting at, and we'll see unpacked more clearly later, that we might serve like our Savior That we might serve like Jesus. When Jesus said to Peter and Andrew and then James and John, follow me. He was inviting them not just to go where he was going. But also to apprentice with him. And to become like him. To live their lives in such a way as Jesus would live their lives if he was in their shoes. Jesus healing people draws people into serving and grateful service. And so this mother-in-law who doesn't even get a name in the scriptures becomes both an early foreshadowing of Jesus' character and his eventual mission and his way and an example of what it means to follow him. I read this morning really early about Angela Merkel, the prime minister of Germany, And she is sometimes criticized by her bland and repetitive wardrobe. Women get a harder deal on this than men, just who just wear the same Navy suit every day. And her response recently was this. My purpose in life is not to be a model, but to serve the people of Germany, to serve. She gets it. She got it. And so this mother-in-law who doesn't even get a name in the scriptures becomes both an early foreshadowing of Jesus' character and his mission and an example of what it means to follow him. Jesus, in love, out of love, consumed by love, reaches out to this woman who's done nothing To earn a visit from the Messiah king, but who nevertheless in her time of need is healed by his mercy and made well by his touch. And who responds to such not with fanfare or boasting or otherwise calling great attention to herself, but instead with immediate and simple serving. With immediate and humble serving. And Mark would say to others who have likewise or differently been healed, made well, cured, made whole, wait on Messiah, serve serve Messiah Jesus, serve one another, feed my sheep, care for my lambs. To such are called those who have been healed by Jesus. To such the church is called. Many of us, me, many of you, some of you, By nature, we want to make a big splash, call attention to ourselves, jump up and down, point at ourselves, think what has happened to us. has happened by our own goodness, and somehow we've deserved. We want to call attention to ourselves, celebrate, live on easy street. She began to serve them. She began to serve them. Let's pray. Make us, God, make your church like the head of the church. Remind us that we're not in this for ourselves, we're in this for your glory. That you came to us to save, to heal, to redeem, to restore, to make whole, to make well. Not because of anything we've done, anything we did, anything we will do. But freely reach out to touch, heal, restore, lift up. Draw into life, back into fullness and abundance. May our response be to you and to your goodness like the response of this woman, Peter's mother-in-law. Give us joy in serving. Give us pleasure in serving. And may you be glorified in that and in all things. In the name of Messiah Jesus, amen.